0: Hey, y'all, how are we doing? Good start. Guys, well, I'm excited for tonight. Um, so the topic, kind of as, as Ben alluded to in the prayer, um, I'm gonna be talking about rest. And I, and I think rest is, especially right now, and for, for this demographic, for, for the millennials in this room, it is such a relevant topic, especially right now, as, as we're going into a season of break for a lot of us, I know college students, uh, you have a longer break coming up. Um, and for some of us, just with Christmas coming up, um, we get a little bit of time off. And so, um, I think tonight is gonna be perfect. I was even joking with Ben, because um, this is my first time getting to preach here, uh, and I'm pumped about it. And I, I was talking to him about this, and I was like, rest is, is the perfect first sermon. Um, because in case this thing goes south really quickly and people just start falling asleep, I'll be like, it's perfect practical application. So if everyone would just falls asleep, hopefully you don't. Um, but if that happens, then, uh, then, then it's a win-win for me. So I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, guys, for, for me, when it comes to rest, the opposite of rest, when, when I think about that, it's, it's restlessness or anxiety. Uh, and when I reflect on my life, the times in my life where I felt, most anxious or, or most restless was when I lose things. Um, and if you know anything about me, you know that this happens way, way too often. I lose things all the time. My mom is, and my sister are both here, actually, so they're probably snickering over there because they understand that. But I lose things nonstop. Um, even just this past month, wallet, phone. Um, this, this one trumps them all. This happened recently. I lost my comforter. Of my bed, I don't know how that happens. It's a big, fluffy, white thing. Like if anything, it goes from my washing machine back to my bed, and I lost it. So, it, that one, when that happened, I was like, "I'm, I'm done for." Honestly, um, and so, whenever I lose things, I, I feel like I get to this pinnacle of of just this restlessness, this anxiety, this frustration with myself. Um, and I was thinking about that in prep for this this sermon. And there's one particular story that stands out. It was me and some of my friends. Our senior year, we took a trip to. Uh, Hawaii on spring break. It was awesome. Uh, it was epic. And, and we, it was about five days into the trip. So we're, it was nearing the end. Um, and we had about two days left. And one of our friends who owned the place out there, he'd been out there a bunch. And so he was like, we're going to go all day out to this place on the opposite side of the island. It was the big island, um, Oahu, I think is what it was. Um, and we're going to spend all day just out on the other side of this island. And so um, we did that. We took these cars out there. And Keep in mind, this is, this is the opposite side of the island to where we're staying. So it was pretty far away. It took us a while to get out there. Um, and we went to this place called Queen's Bath. Uh, and what Queen's Bath was, it was, it was this, these rocks right on the cliffs um, of Hawaii and these massive waves. We're talking 30, 40, um, 50 feet, just huge waves would come crashing into this rock and the spray of the water um, would come over onto the rocks and it would splash on us. So, so you could go down there and... And uh, just hang out. So all of our group, we had 16 of us. Uh, there was quite a few of us. And we went down there, we were hanging out. Um, and for me, whenever I'm outside and whenever I like, get to play, my maturity level just drops about 10 years on average. So it was like this 13-year-old Preston, if you can imagine that, just running around in these rocks, um, hanging out. And two things, really, the opposite side of the island was an issue. Um, but they had asked me to drive a car um, and so if you drive the car, you, you hold on to the keys. You see where this is going. Um, and so I'm out here playing. We're out there probably 45 minutes um, to an hour, hanging out, and we get to the end. And someone's like, all right, let's, uh, let's head out. We're gonna go eat. And they're like, Preston, you got the keys, right? I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I got the key, I drove, of course I have the keys. If I wouldn't have the keys, i would be stupid if I lost them. And while I'm doing this, I'm like patting my shorts where I put my keys. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I don't have the keys. I don't have the keys. And it was that in that moment, just that those who lose things often, you get it. It was like the pinnacle of like, oh, dude. My anxiety just spiked. It was awful. And so I told them, I was like, guys, I don't, I don't have the keys. And if you, if you don't know what mass just mayhem looks like, this was it. It was like 16 of us. We are sprinting around for literally an hour like, I am flying back and forth, like, getting hit in the face by this water as we're doing it. It's, it's like Baywatch, and then, like, who knows what? It's just chaos. Can't find the keys. We cannot find the keys. We're searching everywhere, and we start to give up. Um, and even one of our friends calls this place, the car rental place, and they're like, hey, can you get us a spare key so we can get this car? And they're like, yeah, easy, easy. Um, let me just check that we have the key. And so he waits. He, he gets back on the phone, and he's like, sir, this is the only car in our entire fleet that we don't have the key for. It was like everything was just a disaster. Everything was a disaster. We're in the opposite side of the island, so I've given up all hope in my life. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. Um, and so it's been an hour, and even I'm giving up. I've lost hope. Um, and my two friends, I still, honestly, I keep them in my prayers because of what they did. They were walking um, right by the cliff, and about three inches, from where the cliff face drops about 20 or 30 feet straight into the ocean, were the keys. They were sitting there. I had swung on a vine off of a tree, classic. (laughs) Swung on a vine, and they have blown out of my pocket. Um, So it was unbelievable. For me, my my anxiety, my restlessness is so often contributed um, to when I lose things, and that happens to me quite often, like I said, Um, whether that's keys, whether it's a comforter, who knows what, it happens to me quite often. Um, And so I find myself restless quite a bit, anxious quite a bit, and it even goes beyond just losing things. It even goes beyond that moment um, in Hawaii. As millennials, we live lives that we become very, very anxious. Um, And and I would venture to say that I am not the only one in this room that, that can relate to that. Um, that it seasons in our lives, our anxiety has, has fully taken over. Um, I was actually reading and doing some studying before this, um, and millennials are the most stressed um, and the most unable to manage their emotions than any other generation in history. And we see it in our lifestyles, y'all. We, we are sleeping less than anybody ever has. We are working longer, but yet we aren't... Um, getting as much out of our work. We are chugging coffee, and then on top of all that, we're hanging out with other anxious people. It's crazy, there's actually, it's called inner group anxiety. There's a term for it. When there's a scientific term for it, you know it's, you know it's kind of a real thing. So this, this anxiety is compounding, and it's, and it's reflected um, in our lives. One article called us the constantly swiping right generation. We are the generation that is always looking for the next best thing, in the, the allusion to the constantly swiping right generation, um, if y'all aren't familiar, there's an app called Tinder that's a dating app that matches you with people that are geographically located to you and you swipe right until you find somebody that you like. We are the constantly swiping right generation, anxiously looking for the next thing, um, never content, we are a generation defined by restlessness. And I am first in line for that, trust me. Um, I am first in line, and so tonight I I want to, I want to really sell this point, and it's gonna sound it's gonna sound churchy, um, but that true rest, true rest, not fake rest, true rest, is the cure to our anxiety, um, and is only found in Jesus. So um, tonight, where we're going, I'm gonna help identify, help um, us define what true rest looks like. Um, I'm gonna give you why we need true rest, uh, and then how we apply it to our lives. So. Starting first um, with what? Defining what true rest is. Um, I wanna start by, by knocking out two things that true rest is not. First off, true rest is not laziness or inactivity. Um, that is a lie, a trap that we can easily fall into. Proverbs twelve twenty 20 says, um, those who plan peace have joy. So faith and intentionality are, are not at odds with one another. Um, and, and I know so often we get to that Friday, we get to done with our nine to five when we get home and we just wanna sit there. We hit the couch and and we are absolutely done, I get that. Um, But that is not what true rest looks like. True rest is not laziness. If it were, it would be only physical, but rest takes on a more holistic definition um, that is emotional, it is spiritual, um, ultimately spiritual, but it is also a component, um, physical as well. And I find so often, this happens to me too, I use this as an excuse, my, my rest as an excuse. And especially in working for a church, whenever um, it comes Saturday and, and it is my rest day, it's like all of a sudden I can't do anything. And even like the lightest, the lightest chores, roommates are like, hey Preston, can you take out the trash? And it's like, oh, rest day, bro, I would, I would, but it's rest day, football only. Somehow for guys, it's like football is the only thing you can do, but everything else is, is totally out of whack. So, First thing, rest, true rest is not laziness. Second, true rest is not self-indulgence. So this is kind of the other side of the spectrum. We have laziness where you shut everything off, you do nothing, and then there's self-indulgence. Whenever I think of this, I think of like a squirrel before hibernation. I'm obsessed with squirrels, so I was like, I'll, I'll use it in illustration. Squirrels before hibernation, how they get and gather all their food, they gather all their nuts just so they can be sustained through that season. And I feel like in different ways, that's exactly what we do. Um, for some of us, that might be, man, I'm gonna go party all out Friday, Saturday night. I'm just gonna get the crazy and the partiness out of me, and then I'm just gonna make it until Friday. And come Friday, I'll be running on nothing. I'll be running on fumes, but I'm just gonna go out and party and give it my all. For others of us, um, it looks differently. Uh, It could be gluttony. It could be eating. It could be binge-watching Netflix. um, Or it could just be idolatry of, um, and idolizing an activity, an activity but true rest falls somewhere in between this spectrum of laziness and self-indulgence. So that is what true rest is not. True rest is, um, I'm gonna define that real quick. True rest, and looking in the Bible, is to satisfy the soul. It is soul satisfaction. I kinda like that version a little bit better, soul satisfaction. Sounds cooler. Um, Open up with me, if you could, to Deuteronomy 5.12. Should be up on your screens as well. Starting in verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Skip down with me to verse 15, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So what we see throughout the Bible is true rest is to satisfy the soul, but we see this interesting progression from when God first introduces to us what rest is in Genesis 2-2 all the way until the end of the Bible. And I think what we see is um, we see this progression in both the past and in the Old Testament, in the present, post Jesus, and then then looking to the future um, into heaven. So right now, reading through Deuteronomy, we're looking at the past, and rest um, is inaugurated in the Old Testament. God starts this cycle. um, At the end of creation week in Genesis 2-2, it says God rests, and he introduces to us the Sabbath day um, that is mentioned here uh, in this passage. And the Sabbath was God's one-day mandate to his people to cease and to remember And that's what the Sabbath was. That was our first introduction of rest. So as we see here, in verse 13, it says, in verse 14, it says, on it you shall not do any work. On the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work. And then down in verse 14, um, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Um, So that Sabbath day, God did not need rest, but he wanted us to use that day to honor him, to cease doing work out of our own strength and that by faith, we would look back to him. Another way to put this is, it was to remind God's people of his fulfilled promises and his yet to be fulfilled promises. That is what the Sabbath was for. And we see this playing out uh, in the Old Testament, especially in an agricultural context. So God asks his people, he tells his people, in the promised land to let the land rest every seventh year. And so they would work for for six years. They'd be toiling the land. They would be plowing the land, um, and they would bear fruit from it. And in the seventh year, they would completely stop. These farmers would just let the land lay to rest. And if I'm thinking I'm a farmer, I would be freaking out. Like, uh, this would be an instant heart attack for me, but God provides. And that is what this Sabbath, about, Sabbath is about that it talks about here in Deuteronomy 5, that It is to remind God's people um, of his fulfilled promises that he will sustain us and of his yet to be fulfilled promises. It is a signpost. Second, um, in the New Testament, rest um, rest is fulfilled by Jesus in the present. In Matthew 5, 17, it says Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. So in the past, we have rest, being inaugurated in the past is now fulfilled in the present through Jesus. So Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. God sends his only son. And now by faith, we can achieve true rest because of Jesus. And then looking to the future, rest is solidified in heaven. In Hebrews 4, the, the author talks about looking to the future, of, of seeking out that true rest that is yet to be attained for us. And I think of those that have put their faith in Christ, as as we enter into an afterlife and we see our God in unveiled face, that that moment of awe, that true rest, that, that exhale feeling, that has yet to be attained. And so you see this progression throughout the Bible um, where you see this process of the satisfying our soul is inaugurated in the past, it is fulfilled by Jesus in the present and then solidified in heaven. So the what, um, the what, true rest is to satisfy the soul. Um, And now talking about the why, why do we need true rest? I wanna give you four quick reasons. First off, um, first reason why we need true rest, physical rejuvenation. Uh, in Mark six thirty, we see Jesus go to his disciples and they've been going city to city and, and they've been doing ministry, they've been meeting with people, they've barely slept, they've barely ate and Jesus says, go off into isolation and just rest. Man, just take a chill pill, just, just go and rest and be in my presence. So the first reason why we need true rest, if, if what I talked about earlier and us being this constantly swiping right generation wasn't enough, physical rejuvenation Um, is the first point I want to make. And I have talked to you guys. We've been out here in in the tailgate. Um, I've luckily, gladly, thankfully been able to be a part of this ministry for um, a little over a year now. And I have heard your stories. And one of the common things I always hear is just, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I feel that too. And I talked to you guys. Some of y'all are accountants in your, in your crazy busy season. Some of you guys are nurses and everyone knows your schedule is just insane, absolutely crazy. And, and then we have some students and y'all are in finals week right now and so even finals week and rest, those never go in the same sentence. Y'all are tired. True rest, one of the big benefits of true rest is physical rejuvenation and it is found in Jesus. Secondly, Another benefit of true rest is to grow in trust. I remember growing up, me and uh, me and my brother loved to go to the pool, um, and whenever we got to the pool, we'd go straight to the low dive, and I'm telling you, we would be on there for hours. We'd get there, and we would just keep going and going and going, and I remember um, one summer I was trying to learn how to backflip, and I could not do the backflip. It freaked me out. Um, just taking that leap of faith freaked me out, but... I remember always hearing my brother say, bro, just do it. Just go, bro, flip. It's so funny how you hear girls and the way they motivate and they're so encouraging. And they're like, you got this. You can do it. You're great. Everything about you is great. My brother's like, just jump, bro. I'm like, darn it. I was freaking out. I was getting scared. And so, um, but what I learned in that process is that when you take that leap of faith and the, the outcome that you expect happens, whether that's with the process or or a person, you grow in trust. That's a natural thing. Um, and so a benefit of true rest is we take our Sabbath, as we step aside from doing things in our own strength, and we say, God, I'm gonna have faith that you were gonna provide for me through this work week, that as I take my rest for the farmer as they rested on that seventh day and they had faith that God would provide and fulfill his promises, what happens is a trust grew. And I started to trust my brother when he was saying, just do it. Finally, I was like, okay, I get it, just do it. Um, and you grow trust, that's the second big benefit. Third, kind of growing off, going off of that, um, a benefit of true rest is that it allows us to give testimony to God. As we grow in our trust, and we see God providing and fulfilling his promises time and time again, naturally, as those that have put their faith in Christ, it should lead us to say and to tell other people, hey, look at this, Look at what God did for me, that as I stepped out in faith, as I did that backflip, he was there. He was there for me. And so, as those that believe, um, a third benefit is that it gives testimony uh, to God. And we see even Paul doing this in Galatians. Paul outlines his testimony. He was a man who was constantly trying to prove himself um, to his fathers, to work his way up in the Jewish system. And I imagine somebody who was burdened and I, I look at Paul and God totally turned his life around. God totally turned his life around and we see Paul in Galatians just outlining his testimony and say, hey, look at what God did. And that is a benefit to us um, of true rest. Lastly, um, fourth, and this is a big one. I want us to grasp this. The fourth benefit of true rest is that we cannot do this all anyways. and It is to show that we are dependent. In Acts 1.8, we are given the challenge to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. In Matthew 28, God tells us that we are called to make disciples of all nations. This is huge, all nations, ends of the earth. This is a big calling. And if you think that you can do it alone, you're wrong. You're wrong, And and I know for some of us in this room, especially as Americans, that's hard to hear. The American dream, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We are constantly told by society, individualism equals success. Autonomy equals success. But if you are in this room and you believe and have put your faith in Jesus, you cannot do this alone. Um, I can tell you that much, I promise that. Francis Chan I listen to this sermon of, of his, and I absolutely love it. And he gives this awesome illustration where he's comparing our human finiteness to God's infiniteness, God's vastness. And he does it by talking about God's creation. And we as humans are so finite in the way, they, way we view God's creation that we really only see what is right in front of our faces. We think, I do at least all the time, I think Fort Worth is big, which it is, the 16th biggest city in the U.S. I think Fort Worth is big, I think Texas is huge, U.S. is huge, but when we think about God's creation, he created this one planet, he created Earth that is in this solar system of planets that is amongst other solar system in this galaxy and who knows how many other galaxies, who knows how vast this whole creation is And Francis Chan talks about how our earth is tilted just in a way, and it spins around this axis just in a way that it creates the seasons, and it's just far enough away from the sun um, that we don't freeze to death, but just close enough, the opposite, just far enough away that we don't burn to death, there it is, just close enough that we don't freeze to death. It is absolutely perfect. Gravity is pulling us in, and that is crazy to think about. We are spinning at thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles per hour on this ball of water and dust and fire, like... What the heck? (laughs) If that doesn't make you stop and think for a second about how good our God is, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. And when I think about that, when I look outside of this box here in Fort Worth, Texas in this room right now, and I see how vast our God is, all that it tells me is that man, I am dependent on him. I am like an infant that is dependent on their parent. I am so, so dependent on him. So now I wanna walk with you uh, into the how we do this, the practical application. I don't want us to leave here um, unchanged. So flip with me to Matthew um, 11, if you've got your Bibles, it should come up on the screen. If not. Starting in verse 28, it says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and lowly in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls.'" for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is awesome. Um, True rest, how do we apply true rest? What we see here is that true rest um, is going to Jesus and is exchanging our yoke. So let me break this down real quick for you. Right at the beginning, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. In this context, Jesus is talking to, um, he's talking to Jews. He's talking to people uh, that their entire lives, they've been trying and striving to fulfill all of these laws that God outlined in the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, Christ has fulfilled them, but he's talking to these people that are still trying to live their lives according to these laws. Over 600 of them, and they are... They are having to sacrifice animals. And you talk about walking on thin ice. You talk about being burdened and always falling short. Man, I think about these people that, that God is talking to. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. But the interesting thing about it is that I can relate that so much to myself. Somebody, when I look at myself, who constantly is striving in my own strength to be good. I am, I am just like the Jews and then I'm constantly trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to make my scorecard just perfect and so that I will be approved. And so for all of us, what he's doing here is he's saying, come to me, all of you. We are all burdened in some way, whether that is because we try to prove ourselves to everybody and we try to prove to be perfect or in some other way, he is calling all of us. We are the constantly swiping right generation we are bogged down by our cell phones by our notifications but there's no notification for true rest and he's talking to all of us um, right here i want that to be clear and in the second part He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This word yoke, I I struggled with this word when I first heard it. It is not an egg yoke as some of us would think. Not me, not me, but some of us, I thought that. Okay, I'll admit, I thought that when I first heard it. It's not an egg yoke, it's not. Um, A yoke, I think we have a picture of it Ah, oh, like, oh, yes, look at that. It's a yoke. So, a yoke um, is a wooden frame joining two animals. Uh, David loved it. Um, it. It is a. So, you know you won when David's up there just giggling his face off. That's the best. Um, so, it is a wooden frame joining two animals. And in this contest, it is used metaphorically um, to describe one's burden to another. And so there's this exchange of yokes. Jesus says, take my yoke. And his yoke is perfect sonship to the Father. And as the perfect son, what he does is he he points us, in his ministry, when he was here on earth, he pointed people back to the Father. And he he sought out the lost, the lonely, and the prodigal. So I, I wanna talk to the people in this room that have put their faith in Christ. He has called us to take his yoke, because there is true rest in that. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so for those that are in this room, he's telling us that God's work, God's mission, God's plan for you will bring you true rest. Yes, it will be hard. I promise you, it will be so, so hard. Again, we have a big task, but true rest is found in doing the work of God. But on the flip side of that, the other part of the exchange is that he takes our yoke. Two years ago, um, two years ago on December 10th, so this is a couple of days ago at this exact time actually, uh, I stood in this room. Um, I stood right up here and I was, I was baptized. I was a senior in college at that point and leading up to that, I had I had pursued everything that, that I thought would bring me true rest. Um, all throughout college, I had done the partying scene. I, I did that, I pursued it. I, I pursued unhealthy relationships all the time. I tried so hard to make everybody know that I was I was this cool guy and think I was funny. I tried to be famous all the time. And, and as the world was telling me to to continue to pursue those things, Preston, go out to that bar on a Saturday night. Oh, go, go talk to that person. And as I was pursuing those things, I only led myself down a path of of emptiness. What I thought was true rest was only only fake rest. Um, And that, that yoke, that burden I felt, I remember walking home from school one day, um, my senior year, and, and I was just spent. I was so tired. I was so tired, I was worn out, and I was done with it. And, and a guy I knew at the time, his name was Ryan Christian, some of y'all might know him, he, he opened my eyes to this idea. He said, God will take your yoke. The yoke is not meant for one person, it is built for two. If we put our faith in Christ, he takes that yoke for us. He took that yoke on the cross, that yoke that was all about sin, that was all about self-glorification, that yoke that led to emptiness and he died on the cross for that. And what did he give us? He said, take my yoke. My burden is light, yours is heavy, take mine. So if you are in this room and, and you're wrestling with that idea and you're like, man, I'm not sure why I'm here. I don't even know why I walked in this room. Um, this whole idea of, of putting my faith in Jesus is just foreign to me. I get that. But he takes, he takes that yoke, that yoke of burden from you and he died on the cross because he loved you. True rest True rest and the cure to our anxiety, the cure to a generation that is ridden by anxiety is only found in Jesus, is only found in Jesus. So I I wanna leave us on this, I wanna give us three just practical applications that as we're walking out of here that we can start to grow and to progress towards what true rest looks like. So three things on a daily, weekly, and annually basis. The first one on a daily basis, Pray through your day before you go to bed at night. I I want you to try to just pray through every aspect of your day. Whether you have meetings that day, you have assignments, and ask God that he would give you the faith to stop doing things out of your own strength that he would show up for you. So pray throughout your entire day um, and I think that will help us lead, lead lives that are reflecting true rest. The second thing on a weekly basis Record how God has provided. We talked about it in that Deuteronomy verse. At the very end, God says, remember. He looks at his people, he says, remember. I took you out of captivity. I took you out of slavery. So often, our world, our society is going to, to push all things spiritual under, under the rug. Is going to tell you to forget the spiritual, to forget about God. And once a week, if we can look back and just see the ways that God has provided for us, I think you'd be surprised. I really think you'd be surprised. So every week, looking back and say, man, God, how have you provided for me? And then thirdly, on an annual basis, taking an audit on your life of how are you fulfilling God's calling? Are you on track to living out God's mission for your life in all things in your life? And, And I would love to challenge you, this is one thing I'm gonna do, I would love to challenge you to replace that with your New Year's resolution to look at your life and say, man, in my work, in my, in my relationships with my family, in my extracurriculars, am I doing all this? Is all of this for the purpose of glorifying my good God? What can I change? What can I do better? Um, that is the last application. So on a daily, weekly, and annual basis, maybe we be applying this true rest. I wanna end with this. I... We, we are anxious and we are in need of Jesus. Jesus is the, the, the one way to cure our restlessness. And I, I hear stories and I look at even my own life and I reflect on it, and I really think there's a joy that we are missing out on. And for so many of you, our fear and our anxiety gets in the way of, of doing God's work when just on the other side of that anxiety, he has got a life of complete joy and rest for you. He takes our yoke of sin and he gives us a yoke of righteousness. True rest, true rest is only found in Jesus. Y'all please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, God, we thank you. Um, Lord, we thank you that you brought us here tonight to to hear from your word, God. Lord, we are reminded that, man, just as we step out of here and as we step back into our workplace or or maybe we're going home for break and and we're gonna see family, God, may we just look to you as our source. God, and although we, we constantly want to turn to the world and, and of these things for, to find our rest. God, may we be reminded that you are our only source of rest, Father. Father, so may we not leave here without being changed, without our hearts being renovated in this room and looking more like your son, Father. Thank you for that, Lord. Continue to use this message as we step away. May it continue to mold us and teach us Father, we love you, we need you, amen.